act of God here together. Let's start clapping along with it. Come on. Here we go. I'm gonna praise you with my song. Gonna praise you with my spirit. Gonna praise you with my song. Gonna praise you all day long. Oh God, hear my call. Oh God, lift me higher. Oh God, hear my call.
Check. Well, good morning, everybody. If you are visiting with us, hopefully you stumbled into the right place. This is the Inland Empire Church of Christ Rancho Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. We are glad to have you. Well, Sunday is a great time that we have to be together to worship. Right? This is, this is a specific time of the week that the point of us coming together is to fall before the feet of our God and to bring Him praise. This isn't a time to take. This isn't a time where we're looking for what we get out of this. This is, for, this is a time where we can figure out what we can give to God. And so this morning, I'm not sure where you're at, but I really want to encourage us and, and, and challenge us that, that for every part of this, whether it be singing or we're giving our offering during the communion, that this is an act of worship before our God. There's also a lot of amazing things going on. I wanted to just throw it out there because this is some good news in my personal life. But... I know most of us actually probably know by now, but my wife is actually having our second child here later this year. I know that came out a little weird, but my wife is pregnant. She's about two and a half months pregnant. Thank you, for, thank you so much for those of you that have been praying for us. It is an incredible blessing. Huh? Somebody just say something? All right. Um, but again, let's, let's really pull it in and, and really give our hearts in worship as we sing out to God. Amen? So let's, uh, and today is actually just to throw it out there as well is our, uh, is our uh, monthly hope service. So at the end, we're going to be taking up a time to give to that. So uh, we're going to have a cool presentation there. But let's say a prayer as we continue on with the rest of our worship. Father, I just really want to thank you so much for uh, all that you do for us, God. That we don't deserve any, any of the blessings, any of the love that we have in our lives. Uh, Father, I pray that this morning as we, as we sing out to you, as we uh, bring our tithes, as we, bring, uh, as we take communion together, God, that this is all done, not in a selfish way, but in a way to give to you. We love you so much. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right, we're going to be singing a few songs to get our hearts ready for communion. Oh. 
Sing along with me. sing one more song before we take communion together. Before the uh, communion, we're going to sing a, a great song, Glory Be to Jesus. Really great words on this song.
everybody. How are we doing? Great. Well, uh, if you're visiting with us uh, once a month on the last Sunday, we uh, kind of do a bit of a focus on the church's uh, charity, Hope Worldwide. And my wife and I, Renee, are working with Hope Worldwide and the church to serve the, the less fortunate in our communities. Uh, but also, every Sunday we gather together to uh, remember Jesus. And as I'm getting older, uh, my memory is getting worse. And uh, I was just reminded yesterday, uh, watching the uh, anniversary of the L.A. riots, April 29th, that happened, started there in 1992. I was living in downtown Los Angeles in the Promenade Towers. It's kind of a condo high-rise. I was single at the time and had been a Christian about uh, a month and a half. And uh, my wife, who I didn't know was going to be my wife at the time, was living in the other tower. And uh, I was off in the valley at work, and on the radio I heard the riots were happening. And so I came over the 110 freeway towards my home, the Promenade Towers, and I could literally see the fires and the smoke in L.A., and there was ashes coming down on my windshield. And I pulled up to the Promenade Towers. The whole bottom floor is, is glass windows. They had them all taped with duct tape because people were literally throwing things through storefronts. They had bodyguards at the front doors with shotguns asking us for our ID to make sure we really live there. And I thought about that uh, recently, and I thought to myself, really not much has changed in the world in the last 25 years. And uh, then I started thinking, you know, how long have I been a Christian? And I totally forgot. I just had my 25th spiritual birthday like three weeks ago. And I just remembered that yesterday, and I'm getting old. I just flat, flat forgot. <laughs> but with that, I started to reflect on how gracious God has been to my life. And I wanted to show a short video that maybe you have seen, but it reminds me a little bit of my journey. So if we could cue the video, that would be great. the weight of caring by doing. You know, 25 years ago, my life was an 
absolute mess. It's interesting because most of my life was pretty good. I grew up in a great family. I was fortunate to go to private schools. I graduated at the top of my class. I was a valedictorian. I was all-state in California in three sports. I got married. I had a son. I bought my first house. Unfortunately, I had very little conviction about God. I had very little conviction not to sin. By the ripe age of 29, my good life was in absolute shambles. I was going through divorce. I was destitute. I don't know if you heard the words to the lyrics of the song. It's by the chain smokers. I don't, rep- I don't recommend smoking, but they're kind of a popular group right now. The words to the song, don't let me down. 25 years ago, that's what I said to God. What has happened to my life? See, I grew up going to church. My dad was a deacon in the church. I sang in the choir, and yet I had very little conviction in my heart. I had no relationship with Jesus Christ. You can lift the weight of caring by doing. And I'm so thankful the disciples that reached out to me 25 years ago. I got met by a couple of the... My ex-wife actually got met at the gym on the treadmill. She brought my son to church, and I thought we were separated. I thought, you know, hey, i got to figure out what's this church and where is she bringing him to? Like as if I had conviction about church. So I came for the first time to the Shrine Auditorium, and at first it was weird because everybody was hugging me, but deep down inside I really loved it. And I studied the Bible the first time, and for the first time I understood what it was to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And from that point on, my life has changed forever. I don't know where you see yourself in the video. There was a time where I was in that crowd. I was walking through life just absolutely miserable. And since becoming a Christian, I think I'm probably that guy. And I see and I feel the weight of the world around us. As I work with hope, I see the weight of our communities. It's just devastating. You know, the other day I was struggling. I was just struggling with all the things to do. And I thought, you know, I just need to go have a quiet time in San Bernardino. I got in my car and I drove. If you know San Bernardino, the bridge right there on Highland, it says San Bernardino. That's where I started. And there's homeless people right underneath the bridge. I didn't get another couple hundred yards, and there's just devastation on every corner. I saw a guy literally going in the trash can trying to find food to eat. This is 14 miles from my house, my nice house. And so sometimes I can feel like the guy in the video. But you know what helps to lift the weight of caring? It's actually doing something. And today we're going to highlight hope at the end. we got so many people in our congregation that are doing something that is flat awesome. In fact, I had a group of brothers that came to me and said, Rich, we've had this dream, we've had this, this thing that we want to do, and we want to buy this uh, mobile medical unit to serve the homeless. I go, mobile medical unit? I what, what is that? It's actually like a motorhome, I mean, huge motorhome, like one of those expensive $150,000 ones. And so they showed me one. I walk in it. It's got tables where you can lay people down and all the medical equipment. And they said, yeah, we, it's on our heart. We want to we buy this. I go, $150,000? My first thought was, you guys got that much money? <laughs> and so they're praying and they're looking and all this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, the nonprofit that they kind of hooked up with through Cedar sinai Hospital actually gave them a free medical mobile unit. Free! $150,000. I said, man, you brothers, your heart, your faith, God just rewarded you and said, here you go. But you lift the weight of caring by doing. In Matthew chapter 23, 
in verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Isn't it awesome that we have a Savior that in spite of what we do, 25 years ago, I was the worst candidate to become a Christian. I mean, I was so sinful, filled with bitterness, hatred. I, I had a hard time. I was struggling with, why would Jesus want to die for me? I'm just such a horrible person. But you know, over the years, I've come to know and to love that Jesus Christ wants me under his wing. Don't you love and appreciate that about our Savior? And sometimes we feel like we've got to measure up, but we don't. And that's why we gather each Sunday to remember our Lord, that in spite of where we were at, he reached out to us while we were still sinners so we could be in a saving relationship with him and go to be God with God forever. Let's pray together, and we'll take the sacraments. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your great love for each one of us. And thank you that all the while, God, I know in my life I was steeped in sin. You reached out to me, and you loved me. And so many people have loved me through the years, and I'm so thankful for that. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Today, as a church, we're here to remember you. We're thankful that, Jesus, not only do you care, but you're a doer. You're always doing your part. We love you for that. We thank you for that. We pray this all in your great name. Amen.
morning, church. Uh, I'd like to thank Rich for just an incredible communion message. Thank you so much, Rich. We're really moving our hearts uh, to remember Jesus, not just in thought, but by what we do. This is a time in our service where we take up our offering. And you know, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children who walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, when you think about an offering, and you think about doing it the way God does it, he says it was fragrant. You know, you, you take it in, and it makes you feel good. And I know that when I think about giving my offering, I want to be able to inspire God that way every day. You know, at work uh, about a week ago, a couple of uh, co-workers and I were talking about our kids, and some of them said, you know, we've never seen your kids. Uh, you have a picture, you have anything. So I pulled out the phone, and I had some uh, film I had taken of Christmas. And I showed them opening their gifts, and they were excited, and they were, you know, ripping, and, you know, each one they opened because we let them do it in waves, otherwise they'd just be crazy. Every time they open one, there's all this excitement. There's this happiness, there's this joy. And I thought about giving to God in that sense. You know, the consideration that it takes, the heart behind what it is that you've given. You know, when a gift is that well put together, when somebody does something for you where they consider what you like, how you feel, what you want, and then they present it to you, it stirs you up even beyond the gift. It impresses you because you see the heart of the person behind that gift. And so as we consider our offering this morning, I pray that we take that time, take that effort to consider what is it that will encourage God in my giving. You know, um, we've been taking the Financial Peace uh, University class here. And uh, it's a Dave Ramsey class. It's geared towards helping people come out of debt, develop uh, good character where it comes to money. And, you know, he talks about saving money, learning how to save, and, and getting yourself out of debt, and, and building wealth the right way with a heart for God, and, and getting to the final part, which is having money enough to be able to bless people. That's an incredible feeling. I know I'm not there yet. I'm still looking at the, the, the balancing the checkbook to make sure everything falls in line. But, you know, I think about what Rich shared about those brothers who could get together and say, you know what, we want to bless people this way. It takes organization. It takes discipline. It takes building a character. And we have our special contribution coming up at the end of the month. And in this way, we look to put together money so we can bless people with the word of God people that we've reached out to, people that we've touched in different parts of the world. And to do that, it takes organization. It takes a certain discipline. It takes a certain consideration to make sure that our offering, our gift, is fragrant to everybody in Pasadena. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, it says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I pray that even beyond today, as we consider what we give to God, that we give it that same type of heart and consideration. 
that when we think about God looking at our offering, we can picture little kids opening that gift on Christmas morning and just being delighted. And you can sit back and think, wow, I made God this good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you blessed us. We thank you, Father God, for the work that we have. We thank you for the health that you give us, the ability, Father, to go out and earn. The minds that we have, Father God, and our ability to apply them, Father, in this way. I pray, God, that you look at what we bring before you. And our hearts, Father, don't look at it casually, but instead, Father, we, we apply consideration and forethought. We desire, Father, that our, our offering to you will be fragrant. We'll fill your heart. We'll move you to be so happy and so delighted with us, Father. Be with us in all that we do. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we uh, take up our offerings, uh, we'll just continue with a couple of announcements. First of all, we have teen camp coming up. Any teens in the house? Well, any teens in the house? Amen. Well, to the parents of those teens, this is the last day. This is the last day to sign up for teen camp at the current price. After today, after today, the price goes up. So to, as of today, it's $420. After today, it goes up to $450. So if you are planning for Teen Camp, and I pray everybody is, uh, we do need to try to get registered by today. We have a couple more announcements. Hello, everyone. Uh, <laughs> My name is Abraham, and this is my beautiful girlfriend, Hala, and uh, we are part of the awesome singles ministry. So we're here to remind you guys of the Cinco de Mayo party we're having, um, and we're here to remind you guys to register. Um, we have already quite a bit of people registered, but we want to get everybody registered as soon as possible. That way we have a good count of who's going to be there. So if you can see either Terry um, or... Kim, <laughs> Terry or Kim, uh, to register, that'd be awesome, and uh, the registration fee is $10, it will be $12 at the door, but we really don't want that to go on, we're not going to turn anybody away, we just want everybody registered now, um, also be inviting your friends, and uh, if there is an issue with registration, just come talk to us and we'll figure something out, okay, and I'll uh, let Hala make some other announcements. Hola, everyone. So I wanted to talk about the fun part of the party now that we got the other stuff taken care of. So we're going to have a lot of fun stuff planned for everyone. So there a little bit of some things we have going on. We're going to have a roasted pig. So uh -huh. there's going to be other food for uh, non-pork eaters. It's going to be chicken and traditional Mexican food. So you really don't want to miss that. And there's also going to be a DJ. Um, we have a lot of fun activities going on, a photo booth, and some other stuff going on that will we'll leave us a surprise once we get there. But it's really, uh, oh, did I mention a DJ and dancing? Did I? Okay. 
So you really don't <laughs> Mexican music. So so you really don't want to miss this. It starts at 7:30 and it's going to be at the Boroughs House. Thank you so much for opening your home. So again, it's this Friday at 7:30 and registration is with Carrie and Kim. And please bring a friend. And like Mike said, pay get a ticket for a friend and then go find that friend. Thank you guys. In case you wondered, it's Kevin and Lisa Burroughs house. Not Burrow, like Donkey Burrow. Burroughs. So <laughs> that's what I thought. I'm like, oh, there's a Burrow. <laughs> well, I'm actually here to uh, remind you and announce that there is a mother-daughter tea coming up. Uh, and uh, in Psalm 10, it says that Lord is king. And 2 Corinthians 6, that God tells us that he is a father to us. And what does that make us? That makes us daughters of the king. And that's uh, this year's theme for our mother-daughter tea that will be on uh, Saturday, May 13th, Mother's Day weekend, from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. And because the theme is Daughters of the King, we're encouraging everyone to dress in their favorite royal attire, which can be for, you know, the young girls or any age. Uh, you know, your favorite Disney princess to Princess Leia to Princess Moana to just wear your tiara that you, you know, secretly wear at home and wear in front of the mirror. But just encourage everyone, all the moms and all the daughters, uh, to dress up. Uh, We're making it a fun day for everyone. Also, uh, because uh, not only are we going to have a tea party and uh, enjoy time together. We also want to have some crafts for the younger girls, but because we are daughters of nobility, we want to do something special for those that, um, something encouraging for those that are in less fortunate situations than us. So we really want to encourage everyone to come out, to let your moms know, let your sisters, your neighbors. This is a great opportunity uh, to invite friends and have their daughters come out and uh, have great fellowship. And it will be right here in the building, and we promise we'll make it as pretty as possible. Thank you so much. And registration is in the lobby. $10 a person, so in great food. If you haven't experienced great food, go have Nicole Williams desserts and treats for free. It's awesome. I can testify. Uh, one last quick announcement. If you are the owner of a white Mercury Tracer license plate 3KQM601, please keep on right in the back. Thank you. All right, we're going to stand up for one more song before the sermon.
this out together. Here we go. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. morning. People feeling well? Songs are awesome. Know the uh, singles ministry's fired up. They had a great Bible talk this week. And uh, looking forward to their, uh, their awesome event coming up next week. I know the campus ministry. How's the campus ministry doing? Fired up as usual. I want to challenge the campus next week to sit over there. Just to mess everybody up, right? Just, just take over there. It's good for us to mix things up. We get used to our rhythm. We get used to our comfort. It's good to get uncomfortable a little bit. I heard incredible stories about Easter. Everybody liked how different the service was. So sometimes you just got to sit in a new place, right? So maybe I'll sit in the back row next week or something. You just got to mix it up a little. You know, Jake and I were talking about uh, a series to go into as we're, we're not, we're not going to start building the building yet. We're having all the drawings done right now. A lot of engineering drawings are, gonna, are being done. So it's going to be a while before we have to move out. We will in time have to move out when the construction starts. And the construction will start sometime this year, is my expectation, all right? And that's exciting, right? Uh, but in the meantime, we want to prepare us because, see, the building is really not the church. We know that, right? We're going to talk about that further. But Jake and I thought it would really be healthy. And after going through all the family groups and hearing really from every person in the church, we thought, you know, we should talk about 
what is the church? Why is the church? Where did the church come from? How does the church work? What do we do when we're in the church? What are our roles in the church? What should the church be accomplishing? And so we want to go into a study series right now over the next uh, a month or so where we're going to look at really what the scriptures teach about the church of Christ, right? The kingdom of God. And we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about what that really is. I was driving home from Marino Valley and on the freeway I was with little Nathan in the car and he looked up and he saw a sign on the road, Nathan 7, and he goes, Dad, what's that sign? I said, what are you talking about? He says, it says, love God, but hate church. And it had a little question mark at the end, but he didn't maybe see the question mark, so he didn't know what that meant. Love God, hate church, that didn't make sense. But, of course, the sign was an advertisement for a church that was like, hey, do you love God, but hate church? Hey, try our church. We're different, right? We're the one you can love, right? And, but, but he didn't understand it. And we talked a little bit about it because for him, you know, the church, God, I mean, that's where he learns about God. And, of course, he learns about it at home as well, but he just equates the two. So it didn't make sense to him. But then I thought about that, well, that makes a lot of sense for people today in the world, right? A lot of people don't like church. I remember as a young guy, his age, and, you know, up through, you know, my teen years, when I would visit my grandma and grandpa, they would take me to church, and they put on their Sunday best, and I had to dress up, which I didn't really like that. Uh, but I went ahead and did it, and it was a foreign atmosphere. I remember going out to the church with my grandparents, and I didn't like it. And the reason I didn't like it was because I wasn't used to it, and... And it just, it, it just didn't connect with me. I, I didn't enjoy the environment. Uh, the things that were being talked about, quite honestly, I wasn't really interested in. Uh, now, when it talked about Jesus, whenever Jesus and the story of Jesus was brought up, I, I listened a little bit. I, I, there was something very alluring and drawing and powerful. I, I think no matter who you are, when Jesus is spoken about, people are drawn to Jesus. But, but church, I just, there was something about it I just didn't like. And I remember later on, even going to church one time when I was in college, went to visit my grandma and grandpa. It's the only time I went, really, growing up. They said, we're going to church on Sunday. And if I happened to be there on a Sunday, that's where I was going. And I remember being there as a young freshman, or maybe I wasn't a freshman, like a sophomore in college. But I was, I was a worldly, ungodly guy in my mind. And, and we went to church. And what I remember at church was a big, it was a really big, like, mega church up in the central coast that we went to. And I remember looking around, and at that stage of my life, and I was probably 20 years old, you know, I was into girls. And I was just looking around. And you know what I noticed at church? All the girls and all the guys were looking at each other with eyes that said, hey, I want your attention. I thought, man, church is the same. And so that made me disillusioned. I thought, ah, this isn't good. There was something I didn't like about, I could see there was a worldliness there that, that reminded me of the other events I'd been at. And it, it put a little distaste in my mouth towards uh, going to church. However, by the, my senior year in college, like Rich, my life was a wreck. Right? I was like, I need something. And by this time, I realized I didn't have the answers to life. I wanted the answers to life. And somebody had invited me out to a Bible talk and subsequently to their church. And I went. I remember it was the L.A. Church of Christ, our church. And it was, like Rich said, it was a shrine auditorium. It was awesome. I remember going there. It was just packed with... No, no. Actually, the first time I went, it was the Wiltern Theater. Not quite as big as the shrine. We grew to the point where we went there. But it was the Wiltern Theater. But it was pretty big. It's probably like uh, at least uh, 12, 15, 100 people. And I, I remember going and just thinking, this is awesome. And I was focusing on the message. And I actually wanted to get to know the people. Because I realized they were people who were interested in God coming from a life that was messed up to a life that was changed. 
and the church began to influence me in a way that I could never have imagined. You know, the church really is an incredible entity on earth, all right? What is the church? It's certainly not the building, right? You see the little classic church building right there? The church is not the church building. The, the actual word church is the translation of the Greek word ecclesia, all right? And that word means assembly or congregation. It doesn't mean a building. Although some say there's a, the idea of the gathering of God, some of the, the meaning of the word when it got formed in English could have come from that. But the, all the, the time that the word ecclesia is used in the New Testament is translated, almost the time it's translated as church, or sometimes it's translated as assembly. It's us. It's the gathering of people for God. That's what the word church really means. It's God's gathering. And the church of Jesus Christ is an incredible thing. We may not like it. Maybe we're like, we like that sign, yeah, I love God, but I hate church. But the positive impact of the church of Jesus on the world cannot be overstated. Everything from education to human rights, from public health to economic liberty, the things that we cherish most, and many of the blessings we take for granted can be traced to the spiritual and cultural revolution begun by the church of Jesus Christ. The teachings in the church have inspired the greatest literature, the greatest art, the greatest examples of architecture, the age of exploration, world missions, the rule of law, the separation of powers, checks and balances, representative government, the sanctity of life, compassion for the poor, blind and needy, and so much more that we take for granted. The church has been the single most powerful agent of transformation in society for better across 2,000 years. Because the church is the body of Jesus Christ, is the arms and legs and eyes and ears of Jesus. No other religion, philosophy, teaching, nation, or movement has changed the world for the better as Christianity has done. The church of Jesus Christ is an essential aspect of humanity. It is God's gift to humanity. Through Jesus, His death on the cross creates this gathering of people. Where did this all come from? What's the background of the church? Well, the very first time the word church is used is in Matthew chapter 16. Let's turn there. I have it on the screen. But Matthew chapter 16, this is a passage where Jesus is in, the, is in uh, Caesarea Philippi, which is a, an area that has a lot of pagan worship. Actually, they say it's the center of worship for, for Pan, the, pan, the pantheon of false gods. Pan was a, the, the multi-god. And it was in this setting, in this place, where, where he asks his disciples, Hey, who do people say I am? Some say John the Baptist, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But who do you say I am, he says. Who do you guys say I really am? You've been with me now. Who am I? And Peter then says, You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. And then... Jesus looks at Peter and he says, And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, he goes on to say. So here is the first time that Jesus 
uses this term. He says, I tell you, after Peter confesses, he asks him in this area, who do you say I am? And he confesses, hey, you're the Messiah. You are the Son of God. I have faith you are. And he says, okay, now this is very interesting. He says, you are Peter. Now, in Aramaic, the language he was speaking, the word Peter and the word rock really are the same. They're slightly different. He uses, in, in Greek, it's Petros or Petra. All right? So they are slightly different. That's why, as they translate it into English, of course, in English, Peter's different than, than rock. But imagine if, uh, the idea here, this is a play on words when he's speaking this. Imagine if uh, we use the name Hope. Hey, Hope, you give me hope. Right? I mean, you can see how, how if a person's name is Hope, that can be their name, but it can be also a meaning, has meaning behind it. That's what this is like. You are Peter, but on this rock. And there's a play on words. What is he saying? He's saying, on this rock, this fact, this truth, this conviction, this statement of conviction that I am the Son of God, I will build, and he says, whose church? My church. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This will last forever. The church. Jesus' church. He started it. He's with it. He created it, and his intention is that it would be the agent of transformation on earth. I want to hit four aspects of what it really is today. And we're going to go on, we're going to talk a lot about, uh, you know, how you get in it and, and what do you do when you are in it in, in the weeks to come. But today I want to just talk about four over, overviews of what it is. Concepts that we've seen and heard. There's so many analogies of what the church is in the Bible. The Bible uses many different references. Today we're going to hit four. The church is the kingdom of God. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And the church is the family of God. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer that he will open our hearts as we study and, and look at these concepts. Father in heaven, open our hearts right now, we ask, that we would understand your will for our life uh, and for the church. Help us understand, Father, that you created this uh, as an incredible gift, as an incredible blessing. Help us to cherish the church the way you do. Father, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds, uh, help the scriptures come alive to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The kingdom of God. The church is the kingdom of God. All right? The kingdom of God is something that's been talked about in the Old Testament. Uh, the idea we understand a kingdom, you know, a kingdom has a king. And God's kingdom is the kingdom that where, where everything uh, is in subjection to him. Right? There, that we serve him. He's the king. And so the kingdom of God absolutely is the church. Now, the kingdom of God also includes heaven. So, because he's ruling over heaven, so when you die and you're in heaven, he's the king there too, right? And then there's some who think that the kingdom of God and various theologians believe that there's this, uh, this time of the kingdom coming in a sense of its eternal nature in the future. But the reality is, most theologians all understand, and, and, and as you study the scriptures, it becomes clear, and Jesus himself using the term, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus uses it over and over and over. And he's referencing, really, the church. We find in the book of Acts, he actually says, after he died and resurrected, says he spent 40 days telling them about the kingdom. 
Because he was preparing, because the kingdom is his family and his church and his body. It's what's going to get the work done of what he came to die for. All right? So the kingdom of God is an incredible entity that has been predicted for years. All right? Interestingly, he says in John 18, I have the reference there, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, he says. He's talking to Pontius Pilate, standing there before he gets crucified. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's not talking about a kingdom that's dominant and physical, maybe the way America is in the world today. He's talking about something different, a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. My authority comes from heaven. And it's not going to be a a kingdom with, with physical boundaries. But it's going to be a kingdom of all nations and races and people. That's awesome. In the Old Testament, let me show you two prophecies of this kingdom. In the Old Testament, we find two predictions in the book of Daniel. There's there's many more predictions, as you study, about the coming kingdom. But we find in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. And he's really talking, if you study the book of Daniel, you find that he's actually talking about the Roman Empire is going to to come. And as you study the whole scripture, you'll see he's talking about a kingdom will be set up during the time of the Roman Empire. Well, when did Jesus come? He came during the time of the Roman Empire. And he's going to set up a kingdom. Later on in Daniel, a a parallel passage, in uh, chapter 7, verse 18... He says, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever and ever. The kingdom of God. It was predicted to to get started. Why? Because God wants to reign over the people He made. Why did He make us? He made us to love us and connect with us and be a part of what He has in store. But I don't know about you, but I remember growing up and wanting to have a role model. You know, we, we admire people that are a great apprentice to a role model in our culture today. Right? We, we know that in our culture today, if you want to succeed in something, you need a mentor, a teacher, and then you imitate, and then you, you become proficient and excellent at it. I remember being interviewed to, uh, I tried to get accepted to Harvard University, and I remember during my interview, they asked me, who are my role models? And I remember when they asked, I, I was kind of scattered, I didn't really know who, and I ended up picking some track star, and I was like, you know, I ran track at the time, and I didn't really even know anything about the guy's character, and I, I just didn't have a sense of who was my real role model. And as I grew up and learned that I really didn't know how to make life work correctly, I knew I needed a role model. Now, I liked, I liked that my dad was, was, you know, was happy, had a good attitude. I liked that, and he was very kind to me, so he was a role model of that. He was, he was a happy guy, he loved me, and he, he was committed to me, so yeah, he was my role model. But I didn't have a role model that I thought I can imitate everything about them. This is what I wanted. You know, I love the idea that the church is the kingdom of God because that means we have a king to serve. I want a king to serve. I don't know about you. I want to know who I follow. I want to have somebody that I'm totally committed to imitating. Jesus is the king of his kingdom. And when you're in the church, when you're in the kingdom, you have somebody to follow. You have somebody to imitate. You have somebody that can inspire you. You have somebody that can tell you, here's how it's going to go. I don't know about you, but I wanted answers to the tough questions in life. You know, my king has those answers. My king can tell me how to handle difficult situations relationally. My king can give me advice 
as we're learning about the Day Ramsey Club, about how to handle money. My king can give me input on how to handle my job. My king can give me input on how to handle my children. My king can give me input on how to handle my wife. My king can give me input on, on how to deal with the craziness of this culture. I love having a king. I don't know about you. Jesus is my king, and I'm in his kingdom. Amen? He's our king. We get to be in a kingdom, the kingdom of God. But you know, the church is more than the kingdom of God. It's also the bride of Christ. The king, kingdom of God is also another name for the church, is the bride of Christ. All right, yes, that is my wife Carrie up there. All right, that's my bride. But in Ephesians chapter 5, we find a passage that is really a letter written by the Apostle Paul to teach how husbands ought to treat their wives and wives ought to interconnect with their husbands. And I love the passage. You can turn to it, please. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to look there in verse 23. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to turn to Revelation 21, but it does say that the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God, was coming out of heaven like a bride. And that's a reference, that's an analogy of the church, the kingdom. God's church is the bride of Christ. But he goes on and he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. Why, why does he love the church? It's his bride. I don't know about, about you, but I mean, I was pretty happy on that day when I got married. I got a gorgeous wife, spiritual, gentle-spirited, wanting to make me happy. I was so excited on the day I got married. And I've been excited for years. 23 years it's been for us. If you're married in here, I hope, husbands, you're cherishing your wife. You're cherishing your bride. The idea of a bride, that holy, precious bride that you get to marry, that you get to call, hey, this is my best friend in life. I love my bride. I love seeing my bride. I love being with my bride. I love hanging out with my bride. My bride is, is the, really the greatest thing on this earth is my relationship with Carrie. It's the greatest thing I've got going. Next to Jesus and my walk with God... Physically speaking, the greatest thing I have is my marriage to Carrie. I am so grateful for, for this blessing. And I cherish it. And it says here that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her, making her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And in verse 27 it says, To present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. The church is the bride of Christ. We need to cherish it. What does it mean to cherish it? Let me say this. We need to speak well of the church. I hope you never hear me speaking badly about my wife, Carrie, right? And I don't. I, I praise her and lift her up. I, in front of no one will I speak poorly. I don't speak poorly of my wife. She's the greatest gift. And the church is that. 
Should we speak poorly about the greatest gift that Jesus himself has, which is the church, and that he offers to us to be a part of? Of course we should not. And so I want to put before us, we need to cherish the church and protect the church. Protect the way we speak and who's in the church. Guess all of us. We make up the church, which we need to protect one another. We need to protect the leadership of the church. We need to protect one another and speak well of each other. You know, if you want to talk about somebody in the church, you're allowed to say anything you want about them, as long as it's good. You can say anything good you want about me when I'm not around. You can just talk about me the whole day how great I am. But if you're going to say about all my weaknesses, and there are some people you can talk to who will know all about my weaknesses, you need to come and talk to me directly or minister to me or help me. But don't be blabbing about, man, that guy Steve. He's always A, B, and C, and I got a lot of weaknesses, right? I, I'm a dreamer. But you might get tired of me talking. You're like, yeah? Like, like Rich said, stop talking and do something. Right? He's like, hey, all you're caring about stuff, let's see what you're doing. You might, you might have your own opinions of people in your family group. You might have opinions of people that, the person that's helping mentor and train and disciple you. But you talk to them directly if there's things you don't feel good about. But you can talk to anybody about the good stuff. That's protecting one another. That's protecting this church, this church. Amen? We need to protect and speak well of each other and make sure that we cherish the church the way that God cherishes the church. Jesus cherishes this church. And you know, the church building doesn't look that great right now, right? But you guys look good. So when people come in, we don't want their eyes on the walls, right? Although we're going to get it looking good eventually. We want them looking in your eyes and seeing, wow, this is... Look at the love here. Look at the friendship here. Look at the connections here. That's what we want. Amen? The church is the bride of Christ. Let's cherish it. You know, the third thing that I want to bring up is the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And I have two scriptures. One is sort of imprinted there on the body of Jesus, so-called. And the other is Colossians 1.18, which we're, most of us are familiar with Colossians 1.18. Let's go ahead and read Colossians 1.18. Alright? It says in Colossians 1, verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He, Jesus, is the head of the body. The body is the church, and he's the head. Can you separate a head from a body? You cannot, right? You cannot separate that. They're connected. Therefore, it's crucial for us to understand how essential Christianity is and how essential the church is to Christianity. How essential the church is to our connection to Jesus. Does it make sense? He's the head of the body. The body just, I mean, you hear all these, these, these analogies. These are just four that I'm giving you. There's many, many more in the scriptures. But he's the head of this body of which each one of us is a member. Now, you are the body of Christ, it says there in the body right there. And each one of you is a part of it, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Each one of us makes it up. When we're in the church, we're connected to Jesus. When we're a part of the church, we're connected to Jesus. And when you're connected to Jesus, you're in the body. If you are connected to Jesus, then you are in the body. 
Now let's just talk practically here. If we're, if we're totally sold out, surrendered to Jesus, if Jesus is our Lord, then that means we take upon ourselves His attitude. We take upon ourselves His purpose. We take upon ourselves His ability to love. Now, we may not be able to love right away the way He does because He transforms us for years to come. But we, we take upon ourselves His call to love one another. Right? He says, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. If you're connected to one another. So, here's the, here's the point. If you really are connected to Jesus, then you are in the church because you will embody his, his principles and His character and His love. And therefore, you'll actually have a lot of relationships in the church. You'll have great friendships in the church. You'll like being around the people in the church. Although, like any family, you'll have your fights and your arguments and your irritations and your problems, right? But you will be connected to people and because you're connected to Jesus, you're a part of something much bigger. But here's the rub. Here's the challenge. If you're not in the church, if you're not connected in the church, if you're not a part of the church, then you are not a part of Christ. That's the Bible right there. Make it clear. You cannot separate the two. You cannot think, I, oh, I'm all, me and Jesus were so close. I am so connected to Jesus. I don't really like any church. I love God, but don't like church. See, if you have the nature of Jesus in you, you're going to create a church. Right around, every, every, right that same day, you're going to start connecting to people right there. You will have relationships. You'll, you know, you're going to have to be trained and baptized into the church. We're going to get to that in one of the next lessons. Trained and discipled. And become a part of the church. But that means people are going to be involved in your life becoming a part of the church. And for you to be connected to Jesus, you're going to need to be connected into the church. It's very clear. It's practical. But in America, we're so focused on individualism. I can do whatever I want. In America, people bounce around from church to church to church to church to church to church. That's an unusual phenomenon. It's happened because America is very individualistic. There's a proliferation of different churches. But Jesus is calling us. When you become a, a disciple of Jesus, to be a member of his church that you got. Where is the church? We're going to talk more about that too. But for sure, it's the people that met you, they're studying you, they're teaching you, that you're, that you're around right there. And if you don't like those people, First John says, if you hate your brother, that means you hate God. If you don't like the people, there's a question whether how you feel about God. You don't like God. If you're not able to overcome the differences, the irritations, the problems... And there are problems. I don't know about you, but in our family, we get irritated with each other. All right? We have fights sometimes in our house. Right? We, we argue sometimes in our house. Sometimes we, we're just, we don't like all the same stuff. But we get through it because we love each other and we get connected. God intends that for His body, which is what we're a part of. And it says each one of us is a part of it. Now, here's the thing. We're going to go into a whole lesson, multiple lessons on our roles in the church. I want you to be getting ready for that. I want to talk a lot about that. We're going to go into what are our roles. In, when you're in the church, you are a part of the body of Christ. You have something to do. God has a plan for your life. Something useful. Something awesome. Something that actually He made you for. I mean, something He made you for. You were made to be in the church. I'm telling you, every one of us was made to be in the church. 
You won't even find fulfillment in life unless you find your role in His church. He made you to be in the body of Christ so that you can do glorious things to bring Him honor and glory and change this debased culture that we live in. And to heal and to help and to do something and not be the guy that worries about it like the video showed during communion, but somebody who does something. Amen? We're the body of Christ. The last point is we're the family of God. The church, ultimately, there's scriptures that talk about how it's an army, that we're marching, there's authority, there's conquering, there's making stuff happen. There's a song, you know, you know, soldiers of Christ arise. But let me tell you, the stronger teaching in the Bible is that God's church is a family. A family. Has a dad, our Father in Heaven. But it has brothers and sisters, and that's all of us. Real family. There's the family of God right there. Ephesians 2 says, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. He talks about how we are members of God's household in Ephesians 2. And then we find that in Ephesians chapter 3, he goes on, he talks about how, in verse 10, he says, His intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that means His multifaceted wisdom, His all-encompassing wisdom, God's knowledge of all things, will be made known through the church to the rulers here and in heaven. And that every family, as you go on in verse 15, it says every family derives its name from God. The church is the family of God. We are the family. You are part of a family. Jesus looked at those seated in a circle around him because his brothers and sisters had called him and said, Hey, your mom and dad wants you. Get out of that. What are you in that Bible study? You're always at Bible studies all day. Why are you always at church? And he looked at those seated in a circle and he says, Here are my mother's and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of God is my mother, brother, sister, father, cousin. You're connected. That's what he's saying. He's saying true family is our spiritual family. And when I look around here, I love that. I love that we're family with all different types. You know, yesterday I had the uh, privilege of being with the singles ministry for their Bible talk. Really encouraged that, man, all of them showed up at Starbucks. Actually, they're supposed to play basketball. But then it was windy, so they thought on their feet, and like, we'll go to Starbucks. And they just took over Starbucks. Jasmine was working there. It was great that in our spiritual family, our sister was working at the Starbucks. We were having Bible talk. And I love Starbucks. Man, I, I've done so many Bible studies with people at Starbucks. It's like, it's like a church office, right? And I know a lot of you sales guys, you meet there for meetings. I mean, Starbucks is amazing, right? They, they, they have an environment where business gets done, and the kingdom of God gets advanced at Starbucks. We were, people were, we were sharing our faith with people in the line at Starbucks. And, you know, uh, and some friends came out, and, and all the singles are there. And we were talking about devoting ourselves to God and having the right attitude about it and having uh, an eternal perspective. And it was awesome to be there with my, with my family talking about spiritual things, doing something different. And, man, if you look at the singles group, it was a, a mixed-matching mix group right there. It, was, it, was, it had every kind, every nationality. We had a Middle Easterners. We had Latin American. We had black, we had white, we had red, we had brown. We had every kind. I loved that. And I thought, this is my family. These are my brothers and sisters. I hope you feel that way. The church is the family of God. It was great to visit Lavelle, Scott and Lavelle Maget this week, and they were doing their thing, but seeing their son, he, he's got casts on his legs. But I love being over there. And I'm like, hey, these are, this is my family. 
This is my family. I get to visit my family. You know, they're, they're, they're working their sons, recovering from the, you know, the surgery he had on his legs. It was just great to be there, seeing little Lavelle and, and realizing they're my family. And then I had an opportunity to go see Elaney. You know, Elaney uh, had, had surgery as well, but I thought, this is my family too. And I love that, you know, in the church as a family, you know what's so incredible? People are just bringing dinners to both couples all the time, bringing dinners, bringing things over, helping, loving. I'm like, this is awesome. I love that, you know, that it's going on. It's been going on for weeks and weeks. People care because we're family. Amen? That's God's plan, that we would be a family that honors Him, that changes things. And in families, yes, there's problems. There's difficulties. There's challenges ahead. You know, one of the greatest things was because of our family relationship with Victoria, we had the privilege of getting to minister to the San Bernardino community through that prayer vigil for the, uh, for the school shooting. And, and it, it, was, it was awesome. You know, Victoria, uh, she's our sister. I mean, you see, Victoria, she's, she's my sister. And she's the principal. And she's influential. And she makes a difference out there. And, and it's just awesome to feel her pain, but also feel her victory. To be praying for her. Her son's going on a big march. For, I guess, 2,600-mile march, she's asking for prayers. Hey, we pray for our family, right? He's going on a, on a big hike. She's worried about him. We, we, we share each other's needs. We share the problems we have. We ask for prayers. In family, we care about each other's real lives. We connect on the deepest level, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's our marriages are falling apart, whether it's, you know, our, our families, we can't pay our bills. We share the deepest issues and we care and we get involved because we're family. Amen? And ultimately, we hold up. Jesus is the only way. And He's our King and has all the answers. The church, what an incredible thing to be a part of. Let's speak well of it. Let's cherish it. Let's follow the King. Amen? Let's, let's, let's be a part of something awesome and let's make our church something that glorifies God. Amen. That was awesome, brother. All right. What a tremendous, tremendous Bible study. Hopefully you uh, got something out of that today. Amen. I don't know about you. I was reminiscing in my mind as I was sitting there. Uh, 25 years ago when I went through the Bible studies to become a Christian. And up until that point, I was kind of wondering, how did these people get like this? I mean, grown men married with kids reaching out to a single guy coming over at 530 in the morning to teach me how to study my Bible and to pray with me. I was like thinking, how did you get like this? I mean, really spending time, I mean... Incredible. And then when I went through the Bible studies and I saw the kingdom of God was like a treasure that you would sell everything for, to have, I thought, and I knew, I go, I have found the kingdom of God. And uh, what an incredible lesson. I'm looking forward to the coming weeks. It just reminds me of me deepening my convictions. Hopefully you will deepen your convictions about the church and how we need to glorify the church and ultimately Jesus Christ. We have a uh, presentation uh, right now. This is uh, Hope Sunday. We take a collection uh, every Sunday, uh, last Sunday of the month. And before we do that, we're going to have a presentation about one of our uh, Hope Scouts uh, programs coming up, guys. And we're going to show a little video, have a couple of kids share, and then we'll take our collection. I want to introduce to you uh, 
this nice young lady here right behind me. And out of the goodness of her heart, and I think the leading of the Holy Spirit, she had it on her heart and found out that other places around the United States were doing Hope Scouts. And so she researched on her own, found out how to do it, how to put it together, and came to me and said, hey, I want to I I start this. And uh, she is so awesome, and her sister, uh, Linda, Linda Walker, that yesterday the Red Cross both awarded them awards for being a volunteer with the Red Cross. They were recognized by that organization. So give it up for Brenda Bridges. Uh, good morning, church. Um, I am one of the leaders of our Hope Scouts. And in 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, and in purity. I am so proud of the example of the Hope Scouts and the, the example that they are setting and serving not only the community but the congregation as well. From our Give a Hug Sundays to serving the residents of Mount San Antonio Garden Skilled Nursing Facility. We have 27 scouts registered and I'm so excited about what they have planned for this summer. In a moment, we will be showing a short video of our first project which was to deliver handmade Easter bunnies and spend time doing other activities with the residents. After the video, we will have Hope Scout Hugo Medina and Robert Clifton to share about their experience. I'll go ahead and introduce to you Hugo Medina. Serve like it, um, like it said in the Bible. I'm 
surveying the elders so they can have a better chance. Especially at the musical, many of those elders feel really lonely. I like spreading joy. I want to go around spreading joy to people and helping them. Help other people and encourage them. And um, it's really fun to do it with your friends also. It's fun, for sure. It's fun to be with your friends and everything. It's like also like you're helping people. small doesn't mean that you can't do anything. Don't give up hope yet. My name is Hugo Medina, and um, okay. Uh, the project we did at the senior center was uh, fun. I didn't want to do it like um, when I got there, but after I felt really good. And um, to give the bunnies to them and see the smile on their faces was it felt really good, and um, it was really fun. <laughs> And I felt really good about myself. I was like, wow, this is how it feels to help somebody and uh, to see a smile on their faces and to know that not that many people uh, visit them and they're really lonely. And um, it was, uh, we made like crafts and stuff. And My name is Robert Clifton. I'm the son of Tony and Victoria Flores, and uh, I would like to share my experience at the uh, San Antonio Gardens, the Little Simon Center. Well, mo the most memorable time for me, or experience for me, was their smiles, because some of the elders don't have anybody to go and uh, be with them. So for us, going there and them having no clue who we are and having them smile was really great for me. And there was one um, resident who really stood out to me. Her name was Rosemary. She had so many stories and life experiences that when I tried to give to her, she gave way more back to me. And I was really grateful. Well, I was really grateful for that because all her stories were so detailed. And what stood out to me was that she was 94 years old. And with all the detail that she had in those stories was really amazing. So I, I had a great, I had a great time. So what an incredible group of Hope Scouts. There they are, all of the rest of them over there. Let's give them a big hand. And I, I appreciate how Brenda and Linda and all the rest of the true believers that our, our kids, not only at a home, but even in the Hope Scouts, are being taught to serve. And I think that's a really, really, really commendable thing that you're doing, and we're so appreciative 
of the Hope Scouts. You guys did a great job as well. We're going to say a prayer right now as we uh, get ready to take our collection, and then we're going to have a final song. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for how you're working in the church. And we're amazed at you, God, and we're amazed that the Hope Scouts have started. Thank you for planting that seed in uh, Brenda's heart. Thank you for our kids who are learning to serve and getting out in the community, God. Continue, God, by your spirit to move in each one of us so we can do our part in our communities to reach out to those who are looking for help. God, I really pray that as we take our collection today that you would multiply it, that you would bless those who give. Father, thank you for Hope Worldwide that around the world the money is spent wisely and they're meeting so many needs. Thank you, Father, for that great benevolent organization that started over 25 years ago. God, please bless the collection today. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Alright, that's everybody to stand on up with us. We're gonna sing one last song here. This is an oldie but a goodie. And we're gonna spice it up a little bit, I guess. We're gonna sing a song called My Hope is Built. Alright, sing along with us. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Darkness veils his lovely face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand.
church. Have a great afternoon. Please pick up any communion cups that might be on the ground next to you and throw them in the trash for us. That would be great.